0: music mm-hmm. Welcome to another episode of False Neutral, or The False Neutral, depending on which one of us you ask. A uh, member of the Hooniverse Podcast Network. And today, uh, we're going to talk about oddball bikes. But first, old business. Any old business we need to talk about from past episodes.
1: I sold my Yamaha DT400 that I always talked so affectionately of. Um, you sold I took it? A fr- yeah, I sold it. And you know what's funny is... Well, and I do this with all motorcycles, but I'll have a motorcycle and I'm like, I'm going to keep this forever. And then three weeks later, it's sold. <laughs> and it's just I, I've owned and, and and I own so many motorcycles. Like, I just go through them so quickly. But the 400, I really, really liked it. But I went for a ride um a couple weeks ago. It was my first ride after winter, you know, the first kind of spring ride. And I was just... On a ride, and I felt like you know I'm just not into this motorcycle anymore. So I went home, I put it on Craigslist, and it was sold the next morning.
0: So uh. are you one of those people that gets those "you suck" great deals every time you flip something, or are you like me, the person who buys too high and sells low? No,
1: I am, and my friends they always uh, make fun of me for this. I am, I am like the probably the only person in the world that can buy a boat, use it all year, and sell it and make money on it. Because that just doesn't happen. You know, you you can't make money on a boat unless you're Garrett Michael. Then you can. So, because I've done that. I've bought boats before, used them all summer, and then sold them for a profit. And I do that with motorcycles, too. I like to just wait, find a good deal, buy it, um, you know, something that needs just a little bit of work, and I'll ride it for a while and sell it. And that's what I did with that 400, but, um, kind of my new, well, I've had this motorcycle for a while, but I've actually never ridden it until just recently, but, and I've mentioned it on a previous episode. I've got a 74 Yamaha TX 750, which speaking of oddball bikes, it kind of is. It's a two year only motorcycle. They made them in 73 and 74. The 73s had some oiling issues, and so the reputation was pretty poor. So by 74, they fixed all the kinks in them, but nobody wanted them anymore. So, um, I found one on Craigslist. Beautiful bike. I mean, it looks almost showroom new condition, but the person that was working on it had some carburation problems with it, so I ended up buying it really cheap, and I just parked it in my shop because I've had plenty of other motorcycles to ride, and it's just been sitting there up until here pretty recently. I went through, cleaned out the carbs, put new petcocks on it, all sorts of other stuff, and it's actually probably one of the most underrated motorcycles, I think, uh that you can buy you can get them pretty cheap because um a lot of people don't know about them they're a beautiful looking motorcycle and they ride amazingly well
0: and they were one of the f- if not the first one of the first bikes to have a chain driven uh balancer shaft in them
1: yeah I b- yes. actually i
0: bl- believe that too one in front and one behind the crank that that uh made them pretty smooth
1: they have a they are really smooth, actually, as I found out. Um, but it was that counter uh, counterbalancing system that caused the problem. So the oil sump was too close to that counterbalancer, and it frothed the oil And the 73. So they put a deeper sump on them in 74s, fixed the oiling issues. Um, but by that time, nobody wanted them anymore. But if you can find them, um, they're a really awesome bike, especially 74s that have the little issues worked out in them. Um, You can get them pretty inexpensively and you won't regret it. They're really nice motorcycles.
0: Well, we had a, uh, the Kansas City Vintage Motorcycle Club had a show at one of the local dealerships that's about, uh, nine, nine and a half miles away from me. So my wife and I went up there and I took the CL125S out for the first time. Yeah. So I was finally able to, after a year and a half, ride the bike and, uh, it was okay. I had a couple of little teething problems. Speedometer number four blew itself <laughs> to bits five miles in and then made a screaming noise the whole rest of the way. I uh, wasn't very happy about that. And You're not uh, having good
1: luck with those speedometers. No, no.
0: <laughs> and uh, it, it was very odd. Several times pulling away from uh, a red light and banking either right or left as I was accelerating – the engine kind of cut out and stuttered for three to five seconds and then cleared out and ran fine. And I, yeah, I, I have no idea what that was about, whether it Check was your float just level. Yeah. I I'm, I'm guessing that's gotta be what it is, but I thought I had, I thought I had that correct, but the whole carb needs to be, I think gone through. I had a couple of other little problems with it. My, the six volt electrics on it are so bad on a bright sunny day my wife was directly behind me and she's like, I cannot tell whether you're using your turn signals. The little six volt bulbs were so dim that she was like, I'm looking directly at them and I can't tell whether they're flashing or not. So I was a little disappointed about that. Oh, and uh, the gasket in the tank uh, cap was so rotted out that I was getting just a cascade of fuel (laughs) every time I would accelerate and decelerate trickling out of the tank. And, I didn't really paint the tank. It just had some old spray can engine paint on it that wasn't fuel safe, so that's now all bubbling up, (laughs) which I knew was going to happen anyways. It was just temporary to keep it from rusting. So I was able to ride it, and it was fun, and I enjoyed it, but I'm not sure it just has me all that motivated to dive in and correct all the little things that are wrong with it.
1: Yeah, I hear you on that one. It's tough to have a bunch of issues on a first ride out, and then get a little bit discouraged and just park it for a while until you kind of regain your motivation
0: and unfortunately with with everything I've done to it I'm so upside down that I yeah you can never get rid I of can't it. sell it yeah unless I really want to take a big loss yeah and I could get proportionally a whole lot more with a little bit more effort if right. I want to sell it so it's like okay you got it you gotta fix all this little stuff yeah
2: so I came very close to getting the XS400 up and running. Um, I'm I'm very close. I uh, was out in the garage because we are packing to move and trying to organize some stuff. And I took the can of stuff to coat the tank out there and was going to do it. And I'm like, well, before I do this, let's just take a look at it. So Patcock was off and whatever. So um, I put the shop back to it and was just trying to suck up whatever loose bits of, of rust and whatever else was floating around in there. And I got almost all of it out of there and i'm like well hmm so i put the tank on and i'm like all right i've got a piece of fuel lying around here somewhere so yeah and then i hooked that up and then i put the fuel filter in there and i'm like you know this still doesn't solve your problem so why don't you take the tank off why don't you take the shot back to it try to get all the crap out of there and then coat the tank and then do it the right way so yeah um so rather than half-assing it, um, in the next couple days, I'll, when I'm out in the garage, I'll take the shop back to it, try to get all the stuff out of it, and what the tank. It, it's got to sit overnight anyway. So yeah. what the hell, right? Isn't what, it what,
1: hard to take a motorcycle that you really want it to run, and you've been working on it for a while, and you're like almost at the end, and there's like something that you can do to just like try it out versus yep. like take the time to actually do it right? It's so difficult to actually. Take the and, time to do it right. When he just want to see if it runs.
2: Yeah, and and in my and you know in my head I'm sort of going, well, all right, it's not registered, it's not really insured, but you know, if someone's riding. If my wife's behind, you know, and, and behind me, I can write it to the new house when we get to our new move to our new house. I don't have to load it up and anything. Blah, blah blah. I just want it to run so I can go do that. I'm like, yeah. yeah, go do it the right way, jackass. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So hopefully later this week I'll have all that set and ready to go. So that's how right
1: my about. TX 750. I. Um, cleaned out the carburetors, and got it running. And I rode it around the block just to see what it was like. But, you know, I could just keep riding it because everything works just fine. But I really like to take the time to check the valves, check the timing chain adjustment, uh, you know, all these little things. And, And until I do that, I won't actually go for a full ride. So it'll probably be about a month or so before I actually get that bike on the road. But that's kind of one of those things where I really want to go take it for a long ride, but I just won't feel comfortable until I go through everything.
0: So, Eric, what are you planning on using to coat the inside of your tank? Um, I believe it's
2: called Red Coat. I got it from uh Dime City Cycles. Okay. I've had it for a little while. Um it it looks like it's pretty easy to do. I mean, it's literally, you know, throw it in, roll it around and let it sit. Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: I uh, I know a lot of people that are vehement that one particular one works and the rest of them are utter crap and it <laughs> seems like depending on who you ask which one it is that's the only non crappy one changes um, yeah, I, it, I, I used it, Caswell it, on mine and i think it's fine it seems to be working okay I, i've got a local uh gas station that has non ethanol premium that i've been running in it but the one problem is it's clear so if you have a rusty tank oh, you yeah. can you can you know put some uh it in there and etch it out and everything and get it to the point where you can put the coating on but when you look into it you still see a clear coating over a rusty tank so it's, yeah. you know, the cream is white and I think the red coat is red that might be something that would be a criticism of it but I have to say, it worked really well and I don't have, you know, because I had soldered up the bottom of it and I don't know if I did a perfect job of that, but I, I have no leaks whatsoever, and I'm I'm very pleased with it.
1: That's one thing that I, I haven't had to do is coat a tank, but maybe that's just from being on the west coast, and I don't know. I just never seem to have any issues with rusty tanks out here.
2: Well, mine's because the because gas sat in it for like over 20 years, so yeah. there's no way that it wasn't going to be messed up. So yeah, the reason I bought it was on Dime City Cycle. I think I did some reading uh, on it because it's a one. It's a one-take thing. It's not a multi-stage deal. And I think I remember reading some stuff, and a bunch of people said, yeah, this is good stuff. And it is almost like a religious argument kind of. Yeah. It's almost as, as, as contentious as what kind of oil do you use or what's the best oil or what's right. the best break procedure for a new engine. The, yeah. the,
0: the best <laughs> one is what uh, two-stroke oil.
2: That's the yeah. one that really gets people. Easy. Castrol A727. I mean, full stop clots are 50 golden <laughs> spectro
0: come on i mean <laughs> <laughs> Bol- <laughs> Wait, we man? About injection oil or are you talking about premix oil well you know then you got to get in the whole debate of whether do you want to disconnect mm-hmm. your injector and run premix or whether that's good or whether that's bad and that's a whole nother issue so
1: fix the injector run the injector oil if you don't have an injector run a good synthetic there problem yep. solved Yep,
0: exactly okay oddball bikes um Great topic, but what the heck does it mean? We need to define our terms. What are we considering an oddball bike? Goofy looking, really interesting, unusual technology that's not really goofy, but really cool odd? What do you think of when you say oddball bikes?
1: It might mean something different for all of us. But for me, I was kind of focusing on motorcycles that are factory built, and that could mean Five or a thousand, um, but something that's factory built or bikes that are widely known about that maybe it was a prototype or maybe they only made a few of them and it wasn't a production bike, but it was it was, uh, you know, such a hit or so popular that almost everybody knows about it. And an, an example of that, which we might be able to talk about a little bit more, was that Dodge Tomahawk thing with the Viper motor in it. I don't even know if they actually made them, Nope. but still like everybody knows about it. And that's, that's a weird bike if you ask me. So that was kind of my example of like where to draw the line. So I would include the Dodge Tomahawk, but I don't think I would include like, you know, I don't remember who the guy is, but I think he's done some things for Jay Leno, but he pokes like tank engines and stuff. And, and so like, they're just like one off, but not everybody knows about it. I wouldn't really include Yeah.
2: That. That's actually that guy's up by you. Somewhere. Right, yeah, I think Uh, he is in
1: Washington.
0: Randy, Randy Grubb, Blastoline Brothers. Uh, There's a couple of guys that call themselves the Blastoline Brothers but work independently. Uh, I know he built the tank car. Right.
1: I don't know. What do you guys think? Where where is the line drawn for motorcycle oddities?
0: Well, you know, the Tomahawk pretty much hits every it's weird looking, it's weird yeah. engineering, it's a weird purpose, it's yeah. a weird engine. It there, There's really nothing that isn't weird, oddball, goofy about
2: that bike. Frankly,
0: I think it's pretty stupid, but, yeah,
2: you know? <laughs> Sincerely, 95% of all custom motorcycles.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what year that came out. Probably somewhere in the mid-2000s when they were talking about it. And so in the mid-2000s, I mean, I'm only 29 now. So um, when that first came out, that was, like, pretty damn crazy for me. 2003. Yeah. So So a Viper engine and a motorcycle-like thing. I mean, that was, like, almost incomprehensible to me. And so when it first came out, I thought it was pretty cool. But now knowing, or I guess maybe my taste maturing a little bit. I think that is probably the dumbest thing in the world. I don't think that there's any practical purpose for it. Not that there's any practical purpose for any motorcycle that has a whole ass ton of power, but that one specifically, it's just too weird.
0: Too weird for me. Well, with the four wheels on it, 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 they never really rode it. I mean, I think they did one attempt at a top speed run, and it only went up to like 70 miles an hour, and the guy was so freaked out by... How, so stupid! How badly it handled that yeah. he shut it down, and they were like, "No, we're we're done." Well,
1: and I remember the specifications for that motorcycle. It's kind of like when you look up a kit, you know, from Night Rider. It's like zero to sixty in negative three seconds, and like all sorts of stupid. Like the the specifications for it, like don't even make sense, and they're all theoretical, you know.
0: Yep. What's really amazing is that. One of my man crushes, Alan Milliard over in England built a Viper bike that he's had over 200 miles an hour. Uh, yeah. he's done like 2000 miles on the highway on it. It's, it's an astounding piece of engineering and it really kind of showed up Chrysler of, you know, you could have taken this motor and you could have made a practical motorcycle out of it.
1: I just don't know if you can make a practical motorcycle out of an engine that weighs that much, though, can you? I mean, sure, it, it it goes down the highway and it probably rides OK. But, I mean, at that point, I feel like you're straying away from what motorcycling is. I mean, it, it's such a, a hunk of metal to be hurling down the highway. And I think that you just give up a lot of what motorcycling is supposed to be about when you make a motorcycle like that.
0: Well, I don't know. One of the things that Motorcycle's about is is being outrageous, you know, being antisocial, trying to one-up the other guy. And Alan Milliard is just such an incredible talent in everything he does, from the V12 Kawasaki he built. uh, He bought a built uh, 2Z1 motors into the into the air-cooled V8 and yeah. yeah yeah okay that guy he builds, you know, 5 and 7 cylinder H1s and all yeah. kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's that guy that can just basically okay. rearrange cylinders in a motor and he's drives this, his Viper bike all over England.
1: I totally respect what he does for engineering and all that, but this motorcycle is just too outrageous for me, and I I like an outrageous motorcycle. Don't get me wrong, but the proportions have to be right, and on this one specifically, the proportions just are not right. Eric, what do you think?
2: It was a sty- yeah. It was a styling statement in the early two thousands. It right. was you know, it it was a it was a Detroit Auto Show debut in in two thousand three, and this was sort of at the height of Mercedes owning uh, of Mercedes owning Chrysler. Before everything started going south, and uh, yeah, you know, sometimes you got to do it just for grins and giggles, and that's kind of what that was for. It's just, you know, what's what's the craziest thing we can do? And there's not, in some ways, there's not enough of that stuff done anymore. It's all because everything's got to be for production or some some assumption of that it's somewhat production uh, capable. So, yeah, I mean realistic at any level no I, I was looking at the wiki article on it and supposedly eight or nine were built and sold through neiman marcus for like five hundred and fifty thousand dollars per you know it, it's a it's a piece of as it said in there it's a piece of rolling sculpture is what it yeah. is and you're either gonna like it or you're not and and that's cool I, I i mean from that standpoint if you hate it good at least you have an opinion on it yeah <laughs> it's not another piece of oh look that looks like every other thing out there right
0: an- another one of milliard's bikes. I really like that it belongs in this conversation is the Flying Milliard, which was two cylinders out of a Pratt and Whitney Wasp radial engine that he built into a V twin, and yeah. built a bike, a kind of a board track bike around the engine, five liter. Yeah, V-twin. <laughs> five liter V twin. And he's got a that's great insane. great video on YouTube. It looks like this outrageous bike, but he's got this video that's uh driver's point of view of him just cruising down a country lane and it's actually just a mild mannered bike but you can almost count the the pulses of the engine you know and it's just (laughs) it's like okay that just is very cool
1: yeah that bike i think has better proportions that's more along the outrageous that i could really dig with it's cool it's a v-twin and it dimensionally It's a lot bigger than, obviously, a lot bigger than um, a normal Harley V-Twin, but it still looks really cool. It looks just like an oversized V-Twin in a Harley board tracker frame. I like that. That's pretty cool. Uh,
0: Another one that kind of plays that game is the Gunbus, which is a uh, 410 cubic inch V-Twin motorcycle. But the thing is... It was completed years ago, and I have never seen a photo of it being driven. I think it's just a static display. I don't think anybody's ever tried to hold it up, not on the stand.
2: Yeah. Even if you go back to like all the the or the the Boss Haas bikes with the small block Chevys and big block Chevys in them and stuff like the same same basic concept, you know, people yeah. have been doing it since the 70s or 80s. So
1: right. Yeah, and the Boss Hosses, um, I mean, those are actually production motorcycles, they're not they're a lot more common. In fact, um, a friend of mine has one, but it, it's still um, – I i just don't – I don't see the benefit over a Boss Hoss versus a normal Harley Davidson big cubic inch bike. It's, it's all just, about
0: bragging rights.
1: That's it's true, that's, and that's it, and that's it's bigger, the reason it's, it's why, it's why bigger. this guy has one.
0: It, yeah, it's to say I've got 350
1: cubic inches. I've got 350 horsepower in my motorcycle,
0: and no transmission. You know, <laughs> one one speed. one speed.
1: It's like <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean that takes so much of the fun out of the motorcycling. Just only having one speed. Well, I don't know. Speaking of those types of motorcycles, um, kind of along the lines of. Uh, outrageous, but you can still buy them, the MTT Y2K, the turbine-powered motorcycle.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: My my wife and I were out at dinner sometime last year, last summer, and we were eating outside, and I heard this, what sounded like a helicopter, but without the blades. I mean, it was obviously a turbine sound, and I'm like, what the hell is making this sound? Because it was extremely loud. I mean, it sounded like a turbine engine that was a couple feet away from us. And all of a sudden coming around the corner uh, from the main street, right where we were eating is one of these Y2K motorcycles. And I was completely blown away. I mean, this is just Vancouver, Washington. I never thought anybody in Vancouver would have one, but somebody did. And it was one of the weirdest sounding things. Like when you see a motorcycle and you hear that noise, it just doesn't compute. In any rational person's mind, that just doesn't make sense. Um, but pretty interesting to see one. I know that they're wildly expensive. And the thing that's so weird about those turbine motorcycles is at idle, they're still making a horrendous amount of power. So your braking system has to be super significant in order to hold back all that power when you're just stopped at a stoplight because it just wants to go. There is no power ban on a turbine engine. But
2: yeah, it's just and that's another direct drive, correct?
1: Yes. Uh, you. So, I mean, I don't know anything about these turbine engines, but if you watch like Jay Leno's garage and he's talking about his turbine powered car that he had made, the Cadillac. They put a normal transmission, I think it had to be an automatic because you can't use a manual transmission because you can't disengage the drive from the motor because once you do, the turbine engine just runs over revs instantly. So it has to always have resistance. And so you can have either a direct drive or you can have some kind of an automatic transmission, but you cannot disengage the motor from the drive. Super weird. I don't know why anybody would have one of those either, especially for, what do they cost? Like $200,000.
2: Again, because you can. Exactly. And there's not a lot of them out there. My definition of oddball comes down to kind of a lot of what we're talking. It's either something weird for, it it had some weird suspension. It Mm -hmm. had some different sort of engine, or it was just something that was way ahead of its time i was kind of had been thinking about this since we had, had kind of discussed the subject and there were three or four that I ended up coming up with that kind of pegged all those things for me. So the two that really stick out for me is one, which, uh, you know, again, under 50 production was the, uh, Morbidelli V8. Mm. Um, so, uh, it it's, it's a, um, 850 cc, water-cooled V8 engine, sort of a sport touring bike. It, it was in the late 90s, and um, it was going to be like a 55 or $60,000 bike back in the day. And, you know, they made a few of them, and it, there was no take at that point because it's such a crazy price in the late 90s for a motorcycle. I mean, yeah. you know, that's...
0: What's amazing, though, is how really conventional it looks and worked for being a V8 engine you know it, yep. you look at it and it's like you can obviously tell it's a V8
1: right but, it doesn't look like a dodge tomahawk <laughs>
2: yeah it, well i mean it's it's a 900 cc v8 or 850 yeah. cc v8. i mean it's tiny like the right. pistons look like
1: thimbles or something you yeah. know it's kind One of crazy. these engines in a mini cooper would be pretty cool
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the no, sound exactly. of
1: it must be amazing yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. Motorcycles with a lot of cylinders, I mean, that just kind of always is going to give it some sort of uh, oddity-like appearance. But this one looks pretty cool. And just the sound that it must make,
2: must it must be incredible to hear it. Yeah, I, I've never seen or heard of one running around, you know, I don't know that any ever came to the U.S. So yeah. uh, that was um, that was one of those. The yeah. other one from an engine standpoint that stuck out to me was the uh, Norton Rotaries. Yeah. And there weren't a lot, again, not weren't a lot of them. They were mostly built for racing, but there were a few that made it onto the street. Yeah. And it was one of those things of uh, when it, when it goes by, you know, I mean there's enough videos of those on YouTube. It's like yeah. flame shooting out, you know. Right. And well, it's and just they also it's a crazy idea. Yeah.
0: They also had the Interpol version which was the police bike that they yep. that the British police used. Those racked up hundreds of thousands of miles very reliably yep. and uh, I, I always thought they were very cool. Unfortunately, It was kind of served a dual purpose. One was it was government subsidizing domestic manufacturers rather than buying something foreign. And that was the Mm -hmm. only real option they had at the time. And also, it was supposed to be reliability testing towards a street bike. One, they got around to doing the street bikes. It was a fantastic motorcycle, but they just couldn't market it.
1: Yeah. I picked the Suzuki RE5 for Mm -hmm. the same reason that you did. The reason that I was picking the Suzuki's is because it was actually pretty common. I mean, not compared to a CB750, obviously. We've all seen
0: one in the flesh, though. Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
1: absolutely. Um, And I still see them around, which is kind of surprising. But yeah, I mean, it was probably the most mass-produced rotary motorcycle that they built. I know it wasn't the first, but probably the most common.
0: I don't know how many of the air-cooled Hercules motors got manufactured but there was the the Hercules that had the longitudinal shaft rotary that actually from all accounts was extremely thirsty and not all that powerful but was a very very nice engine to use it was there was there wasn't a lot of compromises to the fact that it was a rotary
1: yeah those are pretty weird bikes
0: one bike that was made in very very limited quantities the Van Veen OCR 1000 they used a, uh, NSU slash Citroen, Citroen motor in a motorcycle and actually got it in production and were making them when, uh, their supply of rotaries went away. I believe it was Co Motor was manufacturing it, decided that no, we're not going to make these motors anymore.
1: So, and and kind of along the same lines, uh, when we're talking about uh, kind of odd engines versus um, other things that are pretty odd, as the Honda CBX 1000, also uh, not the only inline six cylinder motor, or even um, the first probably, but it was the most common, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was a weird looking motorcycle to see because you're pretty used to seeing four exhaust pipes coming out the front of a motor. But when you see six and you see how wide it is, that was kind of an odd design. And I'm not really sure why Honda would decide to add additional cylinders versus add displacement or add efficiency to four cylinders. But Honda and and others, they wanted to do six, so they did six.
0: There's a really good story behind that. And I read uh in interview with oh, and I'm not going to be able so to So when you tip name.
1: it over, you can get it up easier? No. Oh.
0: There was a debate after the Z1 came out and the CB750 single cam got kind of stale. Honda uh-huh. was not doing real great. They didn't have any real segment leading products and everybody else had stepped it up with the the KZ900 and the yeah. Suzuki had come out with their four strokes and and there was a debate, there was, I can't remember his name, and I'm it's going to drive me crazy, but the guy who designed the 250 and 300cc six-cylinder road race bikes was adamant that their history, their legacy, or their heritage was all about six-cylinder motorcycles, and they, they would outdo the competition by going from four to six, just to kind of express their... Mechanical superiority over the four cylinders. And at the same time, there was another group of engineers and marketing people that were really arguing against it. And they wanted to come up with a liquid cooled engine. You know, the Goldwing had come out and they said, Hey, mm-hmm. we, we're having such success. This is such a great engine. There's so many advantages to liquid cooling. We need to do something that's compact like that. We should do a water cooled V4 engine. Yeah. And they kind of worked independently. And initially, the CBX folks won out, mainly because Shishiro Honda kind of gave them their blessing and said, yeah, do it. And when it kind of fizzled, then they turned around, and as soon as it was apparent that this wasn't going to be as big a hit as they were hoping it was going to be, they had already worked their way well into what ended up being the 750 V4s, the Sabre, the Magna, the Interceptor, and And so when you say why'd they do it, well, there's a whole lot of people in Honda at the time that were saying, why are we doing this?
1: Yeah, yeah. well, it seems like they wanted to uh, lead a market segment, so they invented one, and then there <laughs> you're leading the market yeah. segment.
0: <laughs> the only I would I would say I'm not sure the CBX was the most popular six cylinder because Benelli built their six cylinder 750 yeah. and 900 C what from 76 to yeah 84 or something i don't know what the dates are i'm going off the top of my head
1: and did they import those here or is that just throughout throughout the
0: run and i've seen both the 750s and 900s pretty much every italian owner's meter Concorde will have one of those there they licensed the honda 504 and built it with their own tooling they Basically bought a set of blueprints from Honda, and Mm -hmm. people say, well, Honda built them, or they were a copy. They really just kind of licensed a bunch of the engineering from Honda and built them with their own tooling. And then said, hey, if we can build four, we can just add some cylinders to it. So it was a single cam, originally a 750, and then they made it a 900, but they made that for years. And Kawasaki made the KZ-1300 for many years. Yeah. In the United States, it turned into the Voyager 1300 touring bike. Yeah, but they made that for years, so they're not as unusual as you might think, because they there were a lot. And then all of the six-cylinder Goldwings and six-cylinder Valkyries they've had since Mm -hmm. then. You know, well, Not an inline six, but still six cylinders.
1: Yeah, and, and that's a good point about six cylinders, is I actually really do like the concept of six cylinders. It's not so much in an inline six. I like the idea of a flat six, like they did in the Volkries and the Gold Wings, and I think even Triumph has a flat six motor. Maybe it's a flat four. I'm not sure now. But at any rate, I like the idea of, of having that big displacement, smooth running, um, low center of gravity motor, in fact, I've mentioned how much I hate Harley-Davidson. Well, not Harley-Davidson's, but American V-Twins. I like the idea of the cruiser motorcycle, and I'm probably going to get some hate mail for this, but with a flat six style of motor in it, I think for rideability, it's probably a way better motor than a big V-Twin is. I don't know.
0: I've told you that I uh, rode a KZ-1300 standard when they first came out and Mm -hmm. was, was really impressed with it not that I thought it was the greatest motorcycle ever, but it just left a lasting impression on me. I yeah. would love to take one of those ZN 1300 Voyagers and make a stripper cruiser out of it. And yeah. I've seen some people that have done that, and they didn't do it quite the way I would because they left the big fenders on them, and they, they kind of looked unfinished once you took the fairing off of it and stuff, and they had huge handlebars on them. That's still something that is on my... Sorta bucket list. If if I had uh, ever was independently wealthy and could have a huge (laughs) workshop and could just pick up projects to work on and have my minions make them for me, that would be one of the things that would end up happening sooner or later.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what I am most fond of? Turbochargers. And you know where I'm going with this. (laughs) I love turbochargers so much. You know, I wanted a Toyota pickup truck. And they made for two years a turbocharged Toyota pickup truck, in an '86 and an '87. So I found an '87 <laughs> Toyota pickup turbo four by four truck, and I drive it all the time. I love turbochargers, which is why I love the Honda turbo bikes so much. And I don't, I, I think about this every once in a while. Why don't they make more turbo bikes? Probably because. They don't really need to. I mean, there's no real good reason to have a turbocharger on a motorcycle, but it's so darn cool.
0: It's because when you're leaned over in a turn, you know, you're... you're,
1: mm, you're I don't like where this is going.
0: All the turbo bikes that they had had enough turbo lag that you're leaned over and you dial in. You know, you're coming out of the turn and you're okay. trying to time that that acceleration and nothing happens, nothing happens. And then all of a sudden you get past the lag and then all of a sudden you have this explosive power... Yeah, and you had to be really educated about your bike right. to know exactly when you could do that and when you couldn't. It's kind of like, uh, as we were talking a couple weeks ago about, you know, two strokes with chambers right. on them. They are so unpredictable, and that was the biggest problem with them. Yeah. Is they were great in a straight line, but you kind of want power to be fairly predictable on a motorcycle right. when you're leaned over.
1: Yeah, and the turbocharger and- definitely doesn't give you that predictable power, but.
2: In in 2016, we could have a turbocharged bike that would work well. Different turbo housing designs, different right. uh, turbine wheels. Um, the fact that we're fuel injected and that we have traction control solves mm-hmm. all the problems. The 80s, you're talking about blow-through carburetors. You know, right. <laughs> 1940s turbo designs, essentially. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, they were still using diesel, turbo diesel designs for turbochargers on gas engines. And, you know, and, and a blow through carburetor system and, and no and no electronics. So that's almost pretty the rest dangerous. Of now, I, I th- right. yeah.
0: Wasn't the Kawasaki 750 turbo wasn't that fuel injected? I'm just going off the top of my head. By that time, they had they had fuel injected the Z1 Classic and the, the GPZ. Eleven hundred, so I think that might have been fuel injected the c x five hundred and c x six fifty I think had one carb. The Yamaha and the Suzuki had four carburetors, four <laughs> blow through carburetors. Talk about yeah. some some nightmares and tuning right.
1: I suppose that in the grand scheme of things, a supercharger works better for predictable power than a turbo does probably why the h2 are as a supercharged bike but you know turbos are just it's kind of like a two-stroke motorcycle it's just so fun to feel that turbo spool up feel that power delivery and i really want one <laughs> i'm not gonna lie cx 500s and cx uh 650s any idea what those go for these days
2: i can uh, i don't know if jamie has sold his or not but i know someone who has one i, I know yeah. the- There
0: are a whole lot. They kind of run the gamut. A lot of people have really babied them, and a lot of them really got ridden. So unlike most collectible bikes, I think you could find probably find something in your price range, depending on how picky you wanted to be about the number of miles on it.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. That might be something that I'll pick up one of these days when I get bored of some of my other motorcycles. And that happens frequently, as you know now.
2: I'll have to ask Jamie if he still has this. I mean, it's sat in his. If he does, it's sat in his garage since I think he I wrote. I think he wrote it once or twice. And I've known him since like nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, uh,
0: <laughs> I need to correct myself. The XN eighty five was fuel injected, and the Kawasaki was. So yeah. I have to give credit. I can't mock Suzuki, although their turbo was the wimpiest boost of any of the turbos, which is why it it was the easiest to ride. It just didn't have all that much additional power over their regular 650. Yeah. The
1: Hondas just look so cool, too. They're probably the epitome of 80s styling, but I remember, well, not from the time because I was only just being born when they came out. But seeing magazine articles and seeing write-ups, ride reports of the motorcycles just made me want one.
0: I know there's a big difference in the capability of the CX500 and the CX650. When they yeah. made the CX650, not only having more displacement to work with so you had more <laughs> power off boost, but they tweaked an awful lot in that bike. It's amazing. They came out with a one-year motorcycle and then basically revised a whole bunch of stuff for another year, yeah. and then it was over after that. Also, the, yeah. uh, the CX650 has normal colors. It's red, white, and blue rather than the orange, gray, and pearl of the of the 500 that was kind of added to the weirdness of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but that's well, the that's very mid-80s looking, uh, yeah. both in style and in color. Preach.
1: <laughs> uh, a couple <laughs> other motorcycles. One specifically that uh, is probably in my top ten favorite motorcycles ever that I wanted to talk about. Since we talk about the TW200 so much, I wanted to bring up its uh, big brother, the BW200. The even bigger wheeled the
0: the (laughs) dirt only version
1: yeah so i mean it had like the absurdly large tires i mean you know how three wheelers back in the 80s or some of them not like the atc 250rs but uh, some of the four-stroke models that had tires so large they looked like a lunar rover and that's basically the bw200 yeah
0: well they were they were as low pressure as any of the atv tires were then i mean they were designed to run
1: at low i mean seven psi eight psi yeah it's really weird to see them because uh, the tires are so large relative to the other motorcycles. On our Twitter page here a week or so ago, I posted uh, a picture of two goofballs. <laughs> I mean, it's like a an 80s BW200 ad, but there's these two guys in flannel shirts riding these motorcycles. And that pretty much summarizes my dream of uh, a bw 200 i think i just you, want to put on a, a you know a, one of those 80s looking helmets with the goggles and my flannel shirt and just go on a ride
0: i think you need to get the whole set you need to get the bw 350 the bw 200 and the bw 80 <laughs> and get get the whole family mama bear papa bear and baby bear
2: trust me i would love to
0: <laughs> you could go so, yeah.
2: through portland looking like the ultimate hipster then couldn't you oh god
1: yeah Portlanders would love this. I just don't think the hipsters have caught on to what they are yet. They're still stuck on the Vespa's and
0: the only thing the, is, hipsters don't leave the city. They never see it. They they're not going to go someplace where they can get ticks, you know.
1: Yeah, but see, hipsters, it's just like like a typewriter in a coffee shop. A motorcycle that's supposed to be an off-road motorcycle, it's more hipster if you don't use it off-road, you see? So it maximizes total hipsterness.
0: Well, yeah, because you just want to put it in the window of your coffee shop.
1: I, I love BW200s. But you know what's uh, probably more weird, but also really interesting, and I don't think that it gets as much credit as it deserves, are the ATK dirt bikes. Um, that they made in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Some really interesting designs. You know, it's kind of like, you know, almost like the off-road version of the Britain. They did some really weird things with it, which worked, but it was just too different. It just it didn't mm-hmm. really catch on because it was so weird. So there's sort of the American Husqvarna. Yeah. Yeah. But like even to a more extreme degree. So they wanted to reduce unsprung weight. So they put the rear disc on the counter shaft and then um, they wanted to reduce the torque load on the rear suspension. So it didn't want to lift the rear tire up under acceleration. So they had this kind of weird linkage roller system so the chain wanted to pull down on a roller that wasn't really attached to the swing arm pivoting mechanism and just kind of a bunch of weird stuff and so you know who uh, tried to revive that to a small degree and it didn't work also well i mean it worked for atk but it didn't really work for this company uh bmw they made the 450x the g 450x dirt bike and I think they made it for one or two years, maybe 2008 and nine, And it was a 450 motocross style bike that BMW made. And they did kind of the same thing where they took the, the jack shaft or the counter sprocket for the engine was in the same axis as the rear swing arm pivot, just to keep things from not I guess, like the torque and the chain not wanting to lift up on the, uh, the suspension as you're accelerating. They kind of did some weird stuff like ATK did. It didn't really work out. And a little fun fact, the hardest seat ever put on a motorcycle in the history of motorcycling was the BMW G450X. It was so firm that you couldn't even depress your finger into the seat, like more than, more than an eighth of an inch. It was the dumbest thing in the world.
0: And ATK also had the Intimidator, which was their 700-cc yeah. two-stroke single.
1: Yeah. Well, they built some big motors. 406, the 6... What did they do? Like a 6-something? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. A 6-something. And then, like you are saying, the Intimidator. They built some big motors. And so, was- kind of a weird thing with ATK also is they... Even in the 90s, they were still producing air-cooled bikes because... Uh, even when the Japanese manufacturers have been doing water cooling for years already, they were doing, uh, still air cooled motorcycles because a lot of the off-road purists and enthusiasts just didn't quite trust the whole radiators thing and getting smashed and having a coolant leak. So they kept with air cooling long after the Japanese gave it away.
0: Speaking of radiators and people being freaked out about radiators on dirt bikes. Uh, one of the things that came to my mind and several people did it was the, uh, Steering head mounted radiators, the original YZ125 that had the radiator mounted behind yeah. the front number plate. And I know a Taljet did that on a couple of motorcycles and some, some, they, they had, they had some really hideous motorcycles. And one of yeah. them was the, the 350, uh, not the Roadmaster. Yeah, the 350 Roadmaster had a really hideous radiator up high. And I think, If I'm not mistaken, Kajiva. And the weird thing is they turned with the handlebar. So you had really super heavy steering. They were really complicated because you had to route the coolant through this while it's turning. And so they had to have weird, you know, pipes that went up the center of the steering stem and all kinds of weird stuff. And eventually they were like, okay, no, we don't need to do that. Just put it down where, you know, put it on the sides, (laughs) put it behind the front fender, put it someplace on the chassis so that it's, you don't have to do all that. But that was because people were really afraid that if they went down, they were going to smash up their radiator.
1: I think some of the early three-wheelers were doing that. Pretty weird. But, you know, that's got us where we are now. So got to give them some credit for it.
2: So one of the other uh, things that make a bike unique or oddball we talked about is suspension. And you kind of talked a little bit about it with the ATK. There's been a few that have uh, popped out, but the, well, there was one which was the elf gp bike but um which was mm-hmm. unique because it had uh single side arm front and rear um but the one that really kind of brought it to everyone's mind was the bamoda tesi yeah. yeah yeah which does the swing arm basically had a swing arm for for front suspension too and then um uh what was his name james parker ended up doing something later with yamaha for the what was it the gts 1000 yeah and mm-hmm. uh but, yeah, like, the well, the Tezzi, because, hey, it's Italian. They're going to make it look really pretty, right? So yeah. that's the one that always sticks out to me. And for when that thing came out in the early 90s and, you know, it was on the cover of, you know, absolutely every motorcycle publication in the world. And you just like, oh, my, you know, it was it was a uh, Playboy Centerful kind of. Yeah.
1: Center Hub Steering is one of those things where people either love it the, the look of it, or they absolutely hate it because it doesn't look like, you know, your normal suspension fork front end, but especially the Italians, if anybody can pull off the look of it, they can. And I think that it looks great. Center hub steering's is such an interesting design. I don't even know exactly how it works, but it looks really cool.
0: If you're going to talk about center hub steering, you need to go way, way back to the near a car that was marketed as being nearly a car. It was this really bizarre motorcycle with center hub steering, so that it could sit low, and oh, it, yeah. was, it was kind of like a nineteen thirties, or I don't even know if it was twenties or thirties. It was designed for ladies could wear it in a skirt. Never mind yeah. that you're going to burn the hem on the cylinder that's air cooled cylinder that's sticking up between your legs. But you know, it was designed to be uh, something that uh, ladies and gentlemen. Could motor down the road on and and feel like they were they were more refined than straddling a motorcycle. So it was kind of a scooter, kind of a almost like a, a gurning alligator, kind of. Well, which which would be another one I would add to our list of oddball bikes. The the gurning alligator was itself kind of bizarre.
1: I'm not sure I know that one either.
2: You don't know that we s- we talked about that yeah, on. Yeah, Oh show.
1: God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, that one. <laughs> I think I remember mentioning how stupid it was. <laughs> 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 no, I don't think that it's like so stupid. I think that it would ride cool because you're just so low on the bike. But it's one of those things where I just couldn't be caught on it for fear of looking like an idiot.
0: I would be so nervous that I would not be able to see my surroundings sitting that low. I mean, you're sitting as low yeah. as someone in a car. Right. It, that just makes me nervous. Yeah. Another vehicle that the, uh, Niracar made me think of is the, uh, uh, again, another Italjet that was goofy and weird and ugly. The Italjet Dragster Scooter. It was, I remember that one. It was a, uh, scooter that had a monoshock front swing arm suspension. I think it was similar, basically a copy of the Parker Rad suspension on a scooter. And it just had really
2: bizarre bodywork, and the front shock was in between your feet. Yeah. So there's two things I remember about this bike. Um, Number one, in like 2000, 2001, they were all the rage for pit bikes in the AMA Pro Road Race Series. There were like seven or eight of them running around. And I say all the rage, but considering what was running around, there there was a lot of them. All of a sudden, everyone had one. Um, And also, if memory serves, people bought these at Costco. Really? I really? Some, I did not th- realize that. I may be wrong on that, but there was something along the lines of if it wasn't the dra- Italjet dragster, it was some other small bike that people they they got them at Costco and it was like, you know, pretty reason couple grand or whatever they cost at the time, but yeah, no, I, I I but I do remember those running around in the AMA pits back in the day cuz they were six seven people who had them at least six, at least six or seven people
1: yeah so they must have a little two-stroke motor in it is it like mm-hmm. a 50 or something
2: yeah Yep. yeah and i think someone even had i had like a 75 cc kit for it like overnight you know from yeah. from italy yeah
1: that's usually the case i like the aprilia 50 cc scooters a little bit better than this but it's an interesting design i mean i think that it is um Technically, it is center hub steering because it is steering on a center hub. But um, the design is just a little bit different than what you would normally see on uh, a center hub bike. But, yeah, looks pretty weird.
2: The uh, the last bike I had set set aside, if you were to look at this bike today, you would just go, okay, I don't get it. And then you realize that this was in the midnight, early and mid-90s that this bike was sold. And it's the, uh, the Yamaha TDM850. Which was sort of an adventure touring bike before people were really doing adventure touring bikes. It, it had almost like a sport bike frame, except it had like tall suspension, and uh, it also had a 850 cc parallel twin uh, five five valve engine. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I always remember about this bike was 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 the engine and what it sounded like when you put a pipe on it, because yeah. I knew a guy who took that the engine out of that put it in R1, R1? I think it was an R1 chassis, either R6 or R1 chassis, um, and with R7 bodywork, work and, and, and road raced it out on the West Coast. And it was the most evil-sounding thing you have ever heard. When when he was exiting the corkscrew at Laguna Seca, you could kind of hear him at turn one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, it was a bike that was 20 years ahead of its time, which is why I call it an. Mm-hmm. I think of it as an oddball. Because you look, like, oh, hey, Ducati Multistrada, or you know, insert adventure touring bike here. Um, but this was in the '90s, you know, yeah. mid mid '90s, so it was just so far ahead of its time, uh, at yeah. least for the U.S. market, that it really was an oddball and it didn't sell well and went away very quickly. But still, kind of cool. And the people who like them really, really, really like them. <laughs> yeah, I bet
1: it's a smooth engine
2: it, with it, like balancing memory's... systems.
1: They they do pretty well. Um, I,
2: think that it was like a yeah i was gonna say i thought it was a 270 crank uh firing or 270 degree firing order so yeah that's why it 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 was a little smoother and had that that crazy sound to it so
1: yeah the frame almost looks like some of the earlier r1 frames they probably borrowed a little bit and shared a little bit of technology between this bike and some of the sport bikes because it's true it's got you know sport and it even looks like sport bike wheels and tires on it and Mm -hmm. um from the side, the engine looks like a sport bike motor, but they've just put a little bit more suspension travel on it. It looks like a, a FZ on steroids a little bit. That's mm-hmm. yep. a taller one.
0: With, with as tall as it was, with the fairing, you know, it it kind of looked like something that should have been a dual purpose bike, and they changed their mind at the last minute and said, "Oh, just yeah." You know, it wasn't quite supermoto, it wasn't quite off road, it wasn't quite touring, it I wasn't did. quite sport. I loved it. I I had no money <laughs> when they were available, but. uh um I would have loved to have one another bike that made me think of cuz I was thinking about well it doesn't it's kind of a street bike but it doesn't look like it should be the Honda ZB50 they made <laughs> a tw- a s- twin spar frame street bike out of the monkey out of out of the yeah. the little Z50 and it was fully street legal it was kind of like a proto prehistoric grom they sold it i think only one year but it was so bizarre looking because you look at it you go like well it kind of looks like a little monkey dirt bike but it's got street tires and and three spoke wheels but it had a high pipe on it and it was just like oh wow that's weird and to this day i love every time i get to see one because it's like what a cool and unfortunately a lot of people have like put knobbies on them and and used yeah. those dirt bikes and ruined them
1: Yeah, these, I've actually never seen one in person, but they are what the Grom is now. I mean, it really progressed from the Trail 70 uh, to this, and then what we have now is the Honda Grom. Um, But they are the coolest little things. I would rather have one of these over one of the um, YSR 50s, you know, like the Yamaha Mm -hmm. Street Bike 50, um, the little ones. uh, Though, I would rather have one of these over that any day.
0: Now... Even weirder than the YSR50 Yamaha, Suzuki, for one year, sold the Gag, which was the Japanese name, as the GSXR50. And the weird thing about it was, in the United States, it wasn't street legal. And it had a four-stroke motor that was nowhere nearly as fast as the NSR or the YSR. So it wasn't any good for the 50cc race classes that the, the YSR50 was so popular in. This was a bike that had absolutely no purpose in the United States. I remember when they introduced it going, "Yeah, what purpose could this possibly have in this country other than somebody who wants to buy a super overpriced pit bike? And our, it, it was like I wanted to find a marketing man and just slap him and go, you don't deserve to have your job because there's so many cool right. bikes that should come to the United States that don't. And you're doing this?
1: Yeah, that's about the only thing that you could use it for is this overpriced pit by because it looks cool. I mean it looks like a miniature GSXR, but it's not good for anything, really. Yep.
2: Hey, hey Pete. Yeah. Um if you're willing to drive to the absolute opposite side of Missouri, there is a ninety two Yamaha TDM eight fifty for sale in Saint Louis. It's the only one on Cycle Trader. Wow. It's forty forty two fifty. Okay. It's been well-ridden. It's got 50,000 miles.
0: Yeah, well, before I would do that, I think the Aprilia Futura is on my list well before <laughs> that one on my in the order of my bucket list.
2: Yeah, no, I just... I had to do a search just for giggles really quick. I do
0: that all the time. I constantly search for weird things that you never find for sale just to see if I can find them. Uh, one that I wanted to bring up, which is actually very cool, not goofy at all, is the... Uh, Christini two-wheel drive dirt bike it's the most unconventional thing and i'm not sure how much acceptance it will ever have but they made an well, outlandish idea work a, really well it's
1: a conversion so i maybe they produce their own motorcycle but you can buy a conversion kit i believe tell me if i'm wrong um can buy a conversion kit to convert a motorcycle to being all-wheel drive
0: I know that they have models listed on their website. Now, whether they're, you know, rebadging whatever it is that they're using as a source bike, but you can buy a Christini brand two wheel drive dirt bike.
1: I've never ridden a two wheel drive dirt bike before, but I imagine it being pretty weird to have your front end pulling you. It seems like when you're going up a hill, your front end would just kind of want to wander around as it's wanting to find traction. And so it seems like it would be a little bit weird to ride, but I don't really know. I'm, and, and maybe that is true because it hasn't really taken off. It's not like you see it.
0: I've seen some videos. They've got some YouTube videos out there of them going up, you know, like uh, coming out of a creek and going up a sandy bank. yeah, That look really impressive. But I don't know what the compromises are, and I'm And I'm betting it's something like we were talking about driving a Can-Am Spider, that you really need to get acclimated to it because it does things really different. And the more experience you have on a conventional bike, probably the harder it would be to get used to something like that. But supposedly it's fairly unintrusive.
1: Yeah, from riding four-wheel drive quads and going up hills when your front end is trying to find traction, it really wants to meander around a lot. And I see that as being kind of a challenge on two wheels because you don't have that stability like you do a quad. And so I think in some circumstances, it probably works really well. But I'm just imagining going up like um, slow speed, really loose terrain, and just kind kind of being weird. This looks like a morph between a Honda. It looks like a Honda frame. But it's got white power suspension on it, and it's definitely a KTM front fender. It looks kind of like, and it's a looks like a Honda motor. Looks like a they've just taken a whole bunch of different parts and made their own quote, "Christini" motorcycle.
0: Yeah, uh, that's weird. When you when you brought up ATVs, four wheel drive specifically, the very very first Honda TRX 350. I believe it mm-hmm. was a TRX 350, was very bizarre in that the front and rear suspension were both swing arms. It had no roll yeah. at all. And I rode one of those ones, and that was yeah. truly bizarre. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't scary, well. and it worked, but it just felt really bizarre because you felt like you were riding a Lego block. It would kind of clunk one way and yeah. then clunk the other. and well. Uh,
1: Opposite to that, um, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, a company called Lone Star, which makes uh, aftermarket parts for um, ATVs, mainly Yamaha Banshees, they uh, do a lot of billet aluminum work. And they, for a short amount of time, made a fully CNC machined billet aluminum rear swing arm. Looked absolutely gorgeous. But it also... Because it was uh, so intricately machined, it flexed a lot. And so the rear swing arm uh, on a ATV is normally rigid. So it doesn't, it doesn't, when you uh, turn, it doesn't flex at all. It would just be like, uh, like you were just describing. Um, there's no roll to it, except these flex so much that it felt like it was the weirdest experience. It felt like you were almost on a reverse three wheeler where you had two in front and one in the rear or just like a motorcycle because the back end wanted to roll over. And for whatever reason, you were just describing that to me and it reminded me of those weird old swing arms. I think they only made them one or two years, beautiful looking things, but bad idea.
0: (laughs) Well, should we wrap it up? I can think think so.
2: Uh, Yeah, I can there's there's already I can already hear the hundreds of people listening to the podcast going, wait, how could you possibly not talk about the insert your favorite oddball motorcycle here?
0: Yes, because I mean, there were some that were just weird because they looked weird or because they were bizarrely marketed or whatever you could that we could go on forever and ever. So let's go ahead, wrap it up for this week. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you to Hooniverse for giving us a home. Uh, be sure to listen on Friday to Camden Tubbed. And uh, before we roll around next week, the uh, Hooniverse podcast with Jeff Clucker.
2: Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at uh, com slash uh, at
0: the, false, at the, the
2: false neutral, neutral. Yep, uh, or at the false neutral and also slash, slash the, the false, false neutral false neutral. Yep. And do we have an Instagram so. account?
1: No Instagram
0: okay, good.
2: I, I like, like to Instagram post
1: pictures else. on uh, Twitter. In fact, uh, if you haven't been onto our Twitter page, go and look at an rz three fifty motor that I'm tearing apart and rebuilding it uh, had a catastrophic failure, so that's a fun picture and then oh, very cool. uh, if you want to see a picture of a sweet bW two hundred there's one on there too.
2: so okay. is the uh, is there a four twenty one kit coming for the rz three fifty motor?
1: Uh, that one's staying a three fifty unfortunately for this customer. Um, this is when things go from bad to worse. He had a fully set, uh, a full race ported set of cylinders on the last borer and grenaded the motor. Yep. And so you can resleeve a set of cylinders or you can port a new set of cylinders. But either way, when you're on the last bore and you have a race ported motor, it yep. gets expensive. Yep. <laughs> yep.
0: All right. Gentlemen, thank you very much. See you next week. All right. All right.